Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic. No, your podcast feeds are not lying to you. We are back for a second show this week. We've been telling you about it for probably about a month now, but it is the early signing day. So we are back to break it down before we get in. Remember, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there. Share this with your friends, wherever you found it, whether it's Google podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. We are literally wherever you find podcasts. Now a reminder, we are not going to record on Christmas Eve. You will not get a show from us on Christmas day. However, later in the week, we will hit you with a Georgia preview. So wherever you're traveling back from after Christmas, you'll have some sweet, sweet sounds to listen to. So we're going to jump right in because, well, it's been a busy day for anybody that has been working and paying attention to recruiting. So we brought in the man, the myth, the legend, Westcott Everts to help us out. Westcott, how are you doing today, man? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in. Uh, Might get a little slap happy towards the end of the show here. It's been a long day, but I'll do my best to hold it together. You getting slap happy at the end is really where Kyle and I generally start, so I think you're doing okay. <laughs> so let's let's just jump in. So Texas, uh, as it stands right now, has landed another top 10 recruiting class. They have 21 of 22 committed players signed. Kind of a big day, a little bit of news to follow. Texas was in the hunt-ish, maybe, depending on who you ask, for two uh, top-tier running backs, Noah Kane and Trey Sanders. They ended up committing to Penn State and Alabama, as was expected, heading into the day. So no other real news to, to follow. So, Westcott, let's just let's just start here. So of the guys that maybe signed, of the guys that are in there, man, what has you the most excited about this group uh, moving forward? Well, I would say you definitely have to start with the linebacker class. Uh, Todd Orlando had a difficult task, really. You know, uh, Marcel Brooks was rated as a top linebacker in the state for a long time. Big drop off there uh, to David Benda, who I actually really like. Uh, didn't know this, actually, but Tom Herman said he was a former running back. Uh, signee, only in-state linebacker signee. Kitty can really run. Uh, but Brooks was, was by far the top-ranked linebacker in the state. Not really very much talent there. So in a year where Texas had a ton of need at the position, Todd Orlando had to go out of state. And as Tom, like Herman mentioned today at his press conference, there's a confluence of circumstances there. Uh, the Gabriel Floyd ended up at, at Westlake Village, his third high school, uh, I think in, in three years, actually. And the head coach there is a guy who played with Tom Herman in high school. Uh, the family that has helped raise Gabriel Floyd, the Miller family, they moved to Austin. Uh, so just kind of some things coming together there. Uh, managed to land Caleb Johnson, uh, got Marcus Tillman. So Texas was really able to address, I would say, the biggest need in the class uh, with two guys in, in Floyd and Johnson, who I think really have a chance. They're both early enrollees. will have a chance to come in, contribute early. Um, I don't think that both of them will end up starting, but it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility that both of those guys you know, could be starters maybe towards the end of the season or at least be able to provide a little bit more of a rotation because, you know, one thing that happened at Texas at that linebacker position, I think uh, Gary Johnson and Anthony Wheeler, I think both of those guys ended up playing uh, more than a thousand game reps this season. And that just takes such a big wear on your body that, you know, being able to have more depth at that position would be really huge for Texas. Uh, I really like some of the pieces they added on the offensive side of the ball. And then I, I guess back on defense in terms of an instant contributor, you know, I'd look at a guy like Jacoby Jones, one of the top strong side defensive ends in the country, uh, mature, highly coveted, uh, one-time Oklahoma commit. And a guy who really does a lot of nice things, understands 
how to use his hands and, and has a, a really good feel uh, for his pass rushing. A, you know, a guy that I think had something like eight and a half sacks this year. Um, so someone who could really help that Texas pass rush next season. So you, you mentioned a couple of guys that are set to be early enrollees. I think all the guys you mentioned are early enrollees. So uh, of those guys, or maybe of any of the class, like who do you see coming in um, and being those instant contributors, those guys that come in day one and, and are able to, uh, to get good reps? Yeah, I think Johnson, uh, the issue with him is going to be his shoulder injury. He's looking at a, a redshirt season uh, from his sophomore year here at Fullerton College. Tom Herman said that he hopes that Johnson will be ready uh, about midway through spring practice. Uh, so that's going to be a little bit of a setback. You know, I'll look at Floyd and then, you know, especially if uh, little Jordan Humphrey goes pro, you know, uh, Jake Smith is a guy who really stands out. Gatorade National Player of the Year, really versatile, really explosive. You know, I think the easy comparison here that Tom Luganville uh, from ESPN threw out today is Christian McCaffrey you know, a little more towards the wide receiver position. Um, but I think Jake Smith, definitely a guy, you know, who could challenge Deshaun Jameson, um, you know, on punt returns. And I actually really like uh, Braden uh, Labrock too, as well, the, the tight end from Arizona, one of the most advanced route runners uh, that I can remember seeing at tight end in the time that I've been covering recruiting. And, you know, once again, if, if little Jordan Humphrey or, or Colin Johnson goes pro, you know, Labrock has to add some, some muscle mass, um, you know, and probably spend some time refining his blocking ability to, before he can be an inline uh, tight end threat for Texas. Uh, but definitely a guy who could play that uh, the X or the uh, the Y position for Texas next next season if necessary. Uh, I I like all those names you said. I, I feel like uh, I feel like you, you hit a lot of the the high points there. But is there someone in this class? And I feel like a lot of those are guys we're hearing their names a lot. Is there someone who people just aren't talking about? Maybe isn't getting the fanfare. Maybe an earlier recruit, a name people haven't heard in a few months, who came back on the radar. But someone who you're excited, maybe not day one starter, but just their career at Texas, who people aren't talking enough about. I, I would say probably um, all three of the other defensive line signees other than Jacoby Jones kind of fit that bill a little bit for me um, to Vondre sweat, you know, God uh, basketball player. They list him at, at 285 pounds right now, actually, which kind of made me think that, you know, Texas could ultimately make him the nose tackle take in this class. But, you know, Herman pointed out that he's a basketball player, very athletic, you know, a guy who had some sec offers um, Alabama, Texas A&M was going after him. You know, he's a guy that, you know, our Joe Hamilton pointed out that, you know, the sky, the sky is the limit for him, as Herman said. But, you know, what Joe said is that, you know, Sweat's a guy needs to play with a, a more consistent motor. And if Oscar Giles can get that out of him, you know, I think Sweat can be a really good player. I like Peter Pudgy, uh, the <laughs> B-backer from uh, George Ranch. He's a guy super twitchy, has a lot of upside, really needs to uh, to gain some weight, but you know, a guy who really loves the Longhorns, has a lot of connections in his family. His father went to Texas. His sister ran track at Texas. And, you know, he's a guy that I don't think people really recognize how much upside he has just because of, you know, just the incredible raw explosiveness uh, that he has. And, you know, if you go and look at his recruiting rankings, you know, he's not a guy that's going to stand out in that regard necessarily. But then you put on the film and, you know, that, that twitchiness that you see from him, you know, is, is just really special. And then uh, Myron Warren, a uh, kid from uh, Manny, Louisiana, that Texas worked really hard to get to sign early. Uh, there are concerns that LSU could come in, end up flipping him. LSU didn't offer. Texas got him on campus last weekend. 
got him to sign today. You know, like Sweat, he's also a basketball player, you know, really explosive, really violent, kind of has that that nastiness to him that you see from a lot of kids from Louisiana. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Malcolm Roach coming out of high school. And I nice. think he's, he's a guy, um, you know, he was a TCU commit. You got to love those guys who are TCU commits. Gary Patterson, obviously one of the best defensive evaluators in the country. Uh, no question about that. And, you know, Warren's level of competition – uh, was pretty poor. I think he was playing 2A Louisiana football. Um, so I think that probably depressed his rankings a little bit. But once again, you know, like this doesn't lie about these guys. You put a, you put the film on for Sweat, um, for Pudgy, and then for Myron Warren, and uh, just really like what I see from those guys. And, you know, I think Texas fans are really significantly underestimating how quality this defensive line class is, especially combined with, you know, the really sensational track record from Oscar Giles of being able to evaluate and develop players along the defensive line. Well, and I, for one, feel like what we've really been missing after after having a guy named Puna is is a, a defensive lineman with a name that rings out. So I think Pudgy on the line, I, I'm excited at least to, to be shouting that one. kind of have to pause because I wasn't quite sure on the you know, the pronunciation of that. So I'm trying to trying to make sure I get that right here tonight. <laughs> if I'm being completely transparent, I was absolutely floored when Herman pronounced it pudgy at the, at the presser today. I'd been going, I'd been going pudgy. I'd been giving the long a on that. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to appreciate getting the pronunciation guide on signing day. That's a, that's a big <laughs> thing for all of us in the industry. Yeah. And Herman, he's always been weird about making sure the pronunciations are perfect. I say weird. It's always been a priority for him because it's probably important to people who have. Yeah, I mean, the famous one, Sam Ellinger, you know, and you right. know, Herman Herman learned that the hard way and was pronouncing it wrong for a while, and Sam didn't tell, Sam didn't tell him about it for, like, the first month that he was on campus. When you're the freshman, sometimes you don't want to correct your coach. Uh, no, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's – we've talked a lot about who Texas has, and we'll, we'll keep it. I don't want to feed this – I'm going to go ahead and call it a false narrative too much. Um, so Texas was – in the hunt ish for we talked about those top two guys, Sanders and Kane, Texas ended up not securing a commitment from either of them. Uh, so Texas has one who, again, people are overlooking him. I think uh, running back in Darian Brown, who I think is a really talented guy and Texas fans are going to love him. Uh, but who Herman has identified and said it in the presser that they're probably going to go after another running back. So who do you think Texas looks at or where, where can Texas try to find a running back to add some depth in a, in a pretty thin running back room? Yeah, I think, you know, two options obviously are, you know, the graduate transfer market where Texas went last year, you know, I'm trying to kind of been keeping up on that a name that flew under my radar. Uh, was a kid, James Gilbert from ball state who ended up at Kansas state, you know, he's off the market now. I'm not sure that, you know, from what I've been able to gather that there's anyone who really stands out. You know, the JUCO guy that Texas was interested in, uh, Ramondre Stevenson signed with Oklahoma. You know, I think he's super talented. Uh, I think he's going to be excellent for the Sooners. Uh, And then you go to the high school ranks. uh, The guy with the offer right now, Katie running back DeAndre Glass, a guy that's been an Oklahoma State target. You know, Texas has got him on campus earlier in the cycle and was in the mix with him. Kind of backburnered him a little bit, but, you know, Alabama – posted him on an official visit. Ohio State did as well. I think Ohio State, you know, may still have a spot for him because they only have one running back. Uh, so he's the number one guy that I would look out for. Uh, but I but I really want to, you know, I want to talk about Darian Brown a little bit. You know, he was a guy who played with, you know, a couple other uh, really highly rated 
uh, running backs in, in Buford, Georgia there, you know, in, in Gwinnett County, uh, you know, an area that produces about as much talent as, as anywhere in the country. It's not, not an easy place to excel for sure. And so, mm-hmm. so Brown really had his first opportunity this year as a senior to carry a big load and he really took advantage of it. You could see a lot of, a lot of progression for him. And so one of the things that you have to like is that he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, just in terms of a game rep standpoint, um, I wouldn't call him raw necessarily, uh, but I, I think there's still some untapped upside that I think, you know, Stan Drayton is really well positioned to tap into since he's so well re- regarded as a running backs coach. And, uh, you know, what I see from from Brown, he's a little bit smaller, about 5'10", 190 pounds, really has a, a natural body lean, um, runs hard, really gets behind his pads. And, and so you see a nice comb- combination of, of his slashing ability and the home run threat there to be able to take plays to the house but also to be able to break some tackles. And then, you know, there's a play that, that I thought LHN did a nice job of pulling out. You know, he's he's a pretty accomplished wide receiver. He has really nice hands, but, you know, there's a throw like on a, on a wheel route up, up the sideline. So he had his back to the sideline. The quarterback threw it towards the sideline. And so Brown had to spin and catch the ball. And he was able to do that and bring it in without breaking stride or losing any of his speed on that play. It, and so to see that type of that type of fluidity, you know, is really special to me. And you know, there's not very many people in the country who could make that type of play. So I, I think Texas fans are sleeping on Darian Brown a little bit, but I think they're eventually going to be really happy to have him in this class. Yeah, I think we uh, we at the Longhorn Republic are big Darian Brown fans. I know Kyle and I are. And the fact, again, any other year, the fact that Texas can go into Georgia and take a right. guy who has right. an offer from Georgia on the table is a win. So it's, it's a weird, I'm going to call it a false narrative that Texas missed on these, uh, on running backs in this class. Cause I think Darian Brown's a special player. Yeah, no question about well, that. And you know, I got, I got to throw in here real fast. Like you got to love the kid because you know, he basically decided that he was going to come to Texas before he even got to campus just because he liked what he knew about the program, had such a great relationship mm-hmm. with Stan Drayton. And then he and his family were so happy about being a part of the class that they sent the coaches gift baskets. I love that. I love that. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you the know, best it, part of Tom Herman's press conference today, that little <laughs> that little tidbit is fantastic. There's good people. There's good people in that part of the country. My uh, my family is is from around there, and they've been giving me a lot of guff and a lot of guff in in anticipation of this bowl game matchup with Georgia. But it's easily forgotten with with that game looming. There's good folks from right around there, from right around there, Gwinnett County, Georgia. But yeah, I do think that you know if he's the type of runner who views himself as a one cut runner and a home run type of guy, there's a couple guys in Texas who fit that bill. But there's one maybe potential just retired future Hall of Famer Jamal Charles. I mean, I'm not ready. To I mean, I'm not ready to make that direct comparison guy with that body guy with that body lean and just the ability, um, just the ability to, 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 to kind of turn something into a big play. You gotta like that. You gotta like that if you're if you're a recruit. No question about it. So, Tom Herman alluded to like five or six available scholarships in this in this class. I think is what he said. Uh, so, you know, we we know Brew McCoy uh, signed papers today, but didn't announce it. Uh, we know that uh, Catalan is still there. Hookfin is still there with some weird fireworks happening in Waco. I love 
when everything catches on fire there. Uh, so outside of those three guys, because we know there's still Javon Shepard is there. He's the he's the 22nd guy that didn't sign today. Uh, so outside of those those four guys, really, um, who should fans really start studying up on to see as this class progresses toward the second signing day? I'm not sure that there's actually a lot of names out there beyond a couple graduate transfer offensive linemen who are out there. Uh, Nathan Eldridge, a multi-year starter uh, for Arizona at center, who is out this year with an injury. He elected to become a, a graduate transfer. Uh, an Oregon reserve interior lineman, a guard, Jacob Capra. Uh, he was a guy who um, he actually has two years of eligibility remaining, uh, so a little extra value there, you know, kind of rare on the graduate transfer market. Uh, though certainly, you know, if Shane Bouchelle leaves after this season, he would be another one of those guys. Jake Rollerson also had two years at, at Arkansas when he left Texas. Um, but th- those are two guys that I think fans should know about. Sure. Uh, I think there will be some more um, junior college guys. I'll have to go through and, you know, see if there if there's any um, other uncommitted um, offensive linemen at the high school level. You know, I, I just wrote a, a piece of, at BON, you know, on Wednesday evening here about the uh, the remaining needs in the class and, you know, pointed out a guy like Christian Jones last year who wasn't really on the radar at all um, at this point in the process and, and really right. wasn't even right. uh, until, you know, about a week or week and a half or so before signing day. And, you know, all of a sudden Texas got him on campus and, you know, was able to land him over some, you know, schools like Vanderbilt that had been recruiting him a little bit longer. Uh, so there's a definite possibility that, that there could be someone like that. Uh, you know, I think there could still possibly, um, you know, be a nose tackle to come from somewhere. You know, I'm not really sure where that would be. You know, clearly the staff hasn't been a big fan of, you know, the in-state guys there. They didn't offer Antoine Whitner kind of a, a project from IMG who played a lot of offensive line before when he came in. He signed with Indiana today. Uh, so, you know, those are the big ones. But, and the, you know, Hook Finn, I think, is, is really the guy, you know, that's in glass or the two need takes there. And, you know, certainly the, the situation that happened in Waco today was – Pretty ridiculous. I'll just say it. No, it's just total clownishness up in Waco, but I suppose we wouldn't really expect much less from uh, at least one person up there, too. <laughs> um, so, you know, besides just those that we talked about, who you're excited about, who, who we, you know, need to be more excited about, who could be kind of on the uh, on the horizon. But one thing to kind of think about as you zoom out, looking at this class, and, and there was a point when I was watching them kind of roll in that we had like six or seven consecutive out-of-state enrollees. And, and obviously we all kind of knew there was a lot, but it just kind of, I mean, it kind of startles you a little bit as a Texas fan who's used to just, you know, maybe two or three, four in a class and everyone else is somewhere in Texas. I mean, your kind of take on that. Is it just positions of need, the best person being out of state? Is it, you know, a new Tom Herman strategy that looks at the broader map and not just focus on Texas? What do you kind of think of this as this year and then the larger context of going forward, the strategy? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, obviously, Herman is hyper aware of Texas high school football coaches listening to all of his comments. And I think we certainly all know that – Texas high school football coaches to have their hands held, I guess, would maybe be a nice way of saying that. You know, they they want to know that they matter and that they're being taken care of. They're they're a little bit needy for sure, and mm-hmm. Herman understands that. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of credit should go to the staff, particularly the support staff, guys like Derek mm-hmm. Chain, uh, Brian Carrington, 
being able to go out of state, identify guys um, who fit needs in the recruiting class that Texas wasn't going to be able to find in state, starting to build relationships uh, with them, doing some of the due diligence, passing along that information to the staff, is able to evaluate those guys, get out on the road, build those relationships um, in person. And, and so I think in some ways, you know, in past years, especially towards the end of the, the Mac Brown era, I think um, Texas would have been more likely to settle for some guys in state, you know, especially during the era of, you know, Mac Brown decides that he wants to have his whole recruiting class like locked in 11 months before signing day. And so they end up with a lot of, you know, questionable takes who, you know, really end up hurting the program. And, um, you know, I think Herman has made it really clear that he doesn't want to do that. And I don't think that that's just coach speak or something that he says in press conferences. I, I think that is a, a legitimate thing that the staff cares about. And so their ability to go out of state and, and you know, find guys like, as I mentioned, the, the Gabriel Floyd, like had this confluence of circumstances that helped bring him to Texas. But, you know, you look at guys like Jake Smith, Brandon Labrock, Chris Adamora, uh, Marcus Tillman, Marcus Washington, like all these guys, they, they don't have any clear ties to the program. You know, Texas cachet is is not, you know, what it was, you know, when Mac Brown was pulling mm -hmm. in all those kids so easily so early. And so um, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of both, you know, to kind of to recap your comment. But I think it is really uh, truly a tribute, you know, to the staff that they were able to land so many of those players and, and then keep them in the fold too because, you know, yeah. in the – this stretch right before uh, these kids sign, you know, there's a lot of pressure to maybe stay closer to home. You know, a lot of local programs yeah. trying to come and, and poach them. And, you know, so just being able to keep all those kids in the fold at the end too is, you know, also a, a pretty remarkable accomplishment that I think has gone um, a little bit unnoticed as well by Texas fans. And I think something that, that is underrated about Herman's staff to your first point about the high school coaches needing some extra attention is, is Maringer and Meekins being former Texas high school football coaches. So right. they have connections. They have that network, you know, uh, Maringer was at James Madison with, for what, two years, I think as, as the offensive coordinator and Meekins right. was in a couple of different spots. So that, that is a huge advantage where I think previous administrations may be missed uh, to keep the connections going. No, and I think, you know, Texas, when Herman, uh, when Herman, got to Austin, I think his staff had over a hundred years of experience um, recruiting, uh, you know, recruiting in the state of Texas. And I think some people were like, they, they were a little bit nonplussed by some of the hires, uh, you know, Craig Nivar, Jason Washington, uh, some of the hires like that. And, and I think what they, what people underestimated about that was just how deep the ties that those guys mm -hmm. had to Texas high school football coaches and the relationships um, that they have. And, you know, I, I would kind of contrast this to, to some of what happened when mm -hmm. Charlie Strong was at Texas, where, you know, he offers a guy like, you know, I remember offering Ronnie Hoggins, who was like a, maybe like a two-star prospect at the time. And oddly enough, Charlie Strong is coaching Ronnie Hoggins now because of a lot of other issues that he had as a, as a head coach. But you know, Ronnie Hoggins has had a great career at South Florida, been a, you know, a fantastic nickelback, a guy that you know, could have contributed to Texas and might have even started over P.J. Locke given, the, you know, some of the limitations that Locke clearly, you know, put on film. And at, the difference, though, 
um, you know, to get back to the point I was trying to make here before I started rambling about Ronnie Hoggins was that, <laughs> you know, when, when, when strong offered out of state kids, the Texas high school football coaches felt like it was disrespectful to Texas <laughs> high school football players. And I think a lot of that was because strong didn't have ties to those coaches. He maybe didn't quite understand how important it was to massage those egos and how to, how to message things to them in those regards. And I think, you know, a lot of his, his staff you know, didn't really have the right ties either. Like the, you know, he kept chambers who had really stale ties in DFW yeah. and then brought in Koenig who had very stale ties in, you know, the Houston area. And like, so, you know, I think the difference is that yeah. if Herman has to make decisions that might be perceived in the wrong way by Texas high school coaches, he understands how to make sure that it doesn't end up causing hurt feelings. And, you know, at a place like Texas and with Texas high school football coaches, like that's a very significant part of the job. And, you know, those are some of the kind of small facets of what it means to be the head coach at the University of Texas that Strong was either late to understand or never quite grasped in the way that he needed to to be successful. Yeah, and, and you know when you say that, it's interesting. I think about one of the biggest offseason moves of this uh, of this kind of offseason that will affect the Longhorns going forward is Tim Brewster joining uh, joining Mac Brown in North Carolina. I don't know if that means North Carolina, you know, with Mac and, and, and Coach Brewster gets a pipeline in here, but I, I do know that it takes, you know, one of the Aggies' best recruiters, a guy who you know is is intimately tied with Texas high school football players away. So it's always interesting from a Texas perspective to look at the things that happen on the periphery and what that can do, you know, with the windfall of one recruit turning into a couple of recruits just because you have those relationship changes. So I think it's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, no, I think that's, that's well said about, uh, about Brewster as well. And something that, you know, could definitely help Texas in their head to head battles with Texas A&M moving forward. I mean, also most importantly, it proves that Chapel Hill is still lit. So I think that's the most important <laughs> thing in the world. The ACC is once again the best conference in the country. I'm happy for the ACC. I'm sad for the SEC, but they got a lot of people showing for them anyway. So I think right. the the fact that Mac Brown was able to flip a four star kid in his first recruiting class is uh, just incredible. Like that, he may, he may not be the greatest on field coach, but that dude is the Lord of the Living Room if I've ever seen one. You know, you know why he did that, Gerald? Why is that? He did that. He did that just to spite Curry. He read Curry's <laughs> post, and it made him mad, and it got him going. Because if there's one thing that will get Mac Brown going, it's if you get under that thin skin <laughs> and spark that stubbornness. That will get that will get Mac going, man. We're all of the success that Mac Brown has at North Carolina. We're taking credit for it at BON because Curry made him mad. That's that's the official position. I love that. Uh, and, and, and doubt Sally's cookies at your own peril, coaches in the ACC. Wait, okay, so if we're going to talk about Sally Brown's cookies, this was one of the moments that, like, <laughs> it broke Mac Brown for me. And I don't know if you all remember this, but Texas was going on a road trip, and that's when Sally would always make her cookies, and there are all these stories. Like, I mean, there, there was just, like, this whole mythology around how amazing Sally Brown's cookies <laughs> were and how it brought the team together. And so, of course, it's DeJay Johnson because, you know, it would be like a guy like DeJay Johnson who would do something like this. He's tweeting about how the cookies taste like cement. 
That's when you and knew I'm it was like, over. <laughs> that's when I knew it was over, man. I was like, I was like, I'm completely disillusioned with Mac Brown, man. Like, if we don't have the cookies anymore, like, we got nothing. And I can't guarantee that DeJay Johnson was talking about Sally Brown's cookies. Texas was like, they're getting ready to go on a road trip, and DeJay Johnson is talking about the terrible cement cookies they gave him. So maybe, maybe the quality of her, you know, maybe the quality of the cookies declined, like the quality of Mac Brown's coach he did and it's all just a beautiful metaphor i don't know she got a little complacent and the cupboard was bare (laughs) (laughs) that is the first time i've thought about dj johnson probably four years (laughs) hey he graduated like congrats to him man is he is he still in the cfl is that what he's doing with his life i don't know what he's doing right now Man, if he could if he could catch a football though, that would have been nice. Would have been incredible. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, back on back on uh, current Texas players and possibly receivers. So uh, Herman may have tipped his hand a little bit in today's presser. There were two two drops that uh, I don't know if it was just some gamesmanship or him wishful thinking, whatever. Uh, but one of the things he said was um, that they would have four senior receivers next year as he was breaking down what the wide receiver class is going to do one is that complete bull do you believe him at all and then two if he is right and both colin johnson and little jordan humphrey uh, return for another year how, how does that affect the way that this really talented honestly incredible receiving group comes in and contributes at texas yeah i I don't think that was like a tell from Herman that he knows that those guys are going to come back because I honestly don't think that either one of them really knows. I, I think they're both a little bit conflicted, but you know, to their credit, I think they're both focused on the bowl game as well, uh, which was not the case last year. Um, not that, you know, there's anything wrong with that for the players who decided that it was time for them to move on. Uh, but I think it is sort of uh, symbolic in some ways of, how much more this bowl game uh, means and how much more together uh, this team is and feeling like they have some unfinished business. Um, you know, I think for Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey, a lot of what it's going to come down to is uh, the, the feedback that they get from the uh, NFL draft advisory committee, right. um, you know, which is now first round grade, second round grade, or, you know, return to school grade. Obviously, last year, some of the Texas players who left ignored that grade, um, which, I mean, it's kind of understandable. Like, I know that there may be some of the ver- some variability in, you know, trying to provide those grades, and, and it gets much more difficult after the second round. But you know, I feel like the NFL would do a, do a solid to these kids if they could give them a little bit more information than that. Because, you know, if both of those guys could be third or fourth round draft picks, I mean, I, I don't think you could really blame them for, for leaving um, very much. And, and so, you know, that's kind of where I think they are. Um, was was the other question? I, I forgot now, Joe. Uh, no, just how does that – if they both come back, how does that impact uh, how so, the, this receiver class fits in? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, one thing that Herman pointed out that I think has, hasn't really been, um, you know, conveyed correctly, and you know, even at BON is that – you know, when you're recruiting, you want to replace with the incoming recruiting class. You want to replace guys who are juniors that season. So then they'll come in, they'll be freshmen. They can redshirt. All those players are seniors. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. the reason why Texas took so many wide receivers this year is because they want those guys to be able to come in and, and have a year on campus, maybe get some playing time, you know, playing up to four games with the new redshirt rules without having to lose four senior wide receivers 
and then come in and, and you have to play a bunch of freshmen because that's just not a, a recipe for success. Um, but, you know, if Johnson and Humphrey come back, I think it really significantly impacts the ceiling of this team because those guys are, are just so good at what they do. And, you know, I, I don't think necessarily what they do is the identity that Herman necessarily prefers his offense to be. I think it's a credit to the coaching staff that, you know, kind of last year, you know, wanting to install their system, wanting to install their, their culture. They're a little bit stubborn. Bench Colin Johnson hadn't really figured out where to put little Jordan Humphrey. I think he hadn't really developed enough as a wide receiver um, in terms of his understanding of how to run routes, but also, you know, what it takes the uh, level of reading the defense successful in the slot is something that, you know, he, he talked about this year uh, at a press conference earlier uh, this month or in late November, you know, when he was asked about, you know, what's the difference between playing inside and outside that I thought was a really great answer from him um, that maybe people don't, don't really understand, uh, you know, how much of reading defenses goes into playing in the slot. Uh, so if those guys come back, you know, I, I think Texas, has a chance to, you know, be a top 10 team that should definitely be in the mix, uh, you know, for winning a, a big 12 title. And, you know, if the defense comes together and potentially making, you know, another college football playoff bid, uh, if those guys leave, you know, Texas is going to have to to find out some other things that, that they do well offensively. You know, Brennan Eagles, I don't think is going to, you know, he just doesn't have the height and the length of, of Colin Johnson. And so, you know, they're not really going to be able to replicate, you know, him winning one-on-one -on -one at the exposition. If little Jordan Humphrey goes, you know, Jake, Jake Smith can add, you know, a dynamic ability in terms of creating big plays, uh, yards after the catch, you know, in a way that, you know, little Jordan Humphrey can't really. But they're going to be trying to figure out how those pieces fit. They're going to be trying to coach those guys up. And so, you know, those if those two guys leave, that could be the difference between winning a Big 12 title you know, and having another season where they fall a little bit short, you know, or even end up third or fourth in the conference next season. I, I mean, personally, I, I'm I'm just curious to see with with the young tight ends we have in in a in a Herman offense and a Beck offense that's prioritized that position. We've talked about the pass catchers out wide and inside. I'm just curious to see, you know, if Cade Brewer, Reese Leitao, uh if Laybrock, who is of this group, um, or, or or even you know we've we've got another group brought in two tight ends this year. I think two last year. Who in this group makes the step up and and maybe can compensate a little for that or add just another different dynamic in that Herman offense? So I think having too many options or having a lot of options is a good problem no it is definitely and, and certainly at the tight end position where you know texas had just been stuck in this cycle for so long but think about how many guys they had to move from linebacker to either mm -hmm. tight end or fullback like i mean we could go through like i mean andrew beck caleb blewett uh quincy vasher Alex Delatore. Delatore, yeah. I mean, that's I guess at least four right there, just off the top of my head that I can remember. And those are just those are uh, Greg Daniels as well. Um, another one. Oh yeah. Uh, Greg Daniels of the famous uh, the famous wishbone catch against Iowa State to honor DKR. <laughs> Shout out to that's that right. Greg Daniels, Brian Harson. Um, but yeah, I mean, Texas was just stuck in in that cycle for so long. They're playing guys before they're ready. I think the big thing with Cade Brewer, you know just didn't see much from him this year. Didn't play very much. Um, you know, still right now, just a little bit more than a year removed from that ACL surgery. So I don't think he was fully healthy. 
Um, if he's a guy who can recover some of the athleticism that he had in high school, uh, combined, you know, maintain it with that knee injury and then the extra weight that he's carrying now, he's a guy who has a lot of pass catching ability. I like Leitao as well. And you know, I think what's really exciting about, you know, kind of developing this identity with Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey is that Texas now has established roles in their offense that they can fit a guy like Malcolm Epps into, you know, you saw that flash on that catch against Texas yeah. Tech where like last, you know, last year Malcolm Epps comes in and it's like, you look at this kid's frame. It's like, man, I don't know if he's going to really be able to put on the mass needed to be, you know, an inline blocker. And now all of a sudden it's just like, well, you could, you could wind them up at the X, you line them up inside where he played some in high school. You know, I think Laybrock fits that mold as well. As I mentioned, you know, one of the most precise route runners for someone of his size could be kind of, you know, that Mark Andrews type. You know, I actually really like Jared Wiley too. Uh, he's going to need a little bit more time. Um, you know, Herman mentioned today, I mean, big kid, 6'6", you know, about 200, 235 pounds right now. Uh, Herman says he has some nastiness, can move pretty well. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that not a lot of people paid attention to. He's really raw. You know, he's only played one year of tight end, sandwiched around being a quarterback. Um, you know, but he's a guy that, you know, I think two or three years from now, he could be a really excellent player. And, you know, being able to say that type of thing is something that Texas just hasn't been able to do at the tight end position. And so these are sort of some of the things that you know, are starting to, to lock into place for Texas uh, when you think about everything that goes into – having quality depth, you know, and building a program that can sustain success uh, year after year. So let, I guess to, to kind of tie a bow on this thing, um, what do you feel like when we judge this thing? Cause you can't really judge a recruiting class the day of. So when we look back, you know, three years from now and, and we're, we're judging the 2018 class in 2020, I guess it's 2019 class, the 2019 class in 2022, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, what, what do you think the story is? And, and how, how does this class, what's the legacy of this group as we, as we look back on it here in the future? Guys who can come in quickly and make an impact at defensive end and linebacker, and then be able to grow that those, early contributions that, that will surely, you know, come with some, some bumps and bruises, you know, as those guys get acclimated. Um, but, but I think it will really be, you know, in that defensive front, forming a basis for a core that will sustain Texas for a couple of years. And then on offense, fitting, fitting pieces around what Texas already has and uh, really just elevating the level of talent um, and explosiveness uh, that they have on offense, I, I think are, are ideally, you know, going to be the legacies of this class. Awesome. Well, well, Wes Scott, thank you so much for taking some time out. I know it's been a long few days for you. Uh, if people want to follow you and, and all of the great coverage you provide, where can they, where can they follow you at? Yeah. SBN underscore Westcott W E S C O T T on Twitter. And of course, burnorigination.com all the time. Uh, I enjoyed it, guys. Uh, it's a nice way to enjoy a stiff whiskey drink and uh, reflect <laughs> on, on a, what I think was a, a good day for Longhorns football today. Fantastic. I'm, w- I'm with you. It's it's a good night, Cat. Wes, thanks again, man. All right. I'll take care.
So it wouldn't be a Longhorn Republic podcast without us honoring one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So Kyle, quickly, man, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, I am banging the drum, I believe for Joe Ruiz, but also banging the drum uh, um, for our guy, the patron saint of this podcast. Well, honestly, I could bang it for Puna, who might be the other patron saint. Uh, Puna's been getting some love finally pro football focus grading him out really 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 well people feeling like idiots for passing up on him Um, but the GM of the same team proving a shrewd pick is always a Texas pick by trading up and getting Michael Dixon in the fifth round that was validated as Dixon became uh, a pro bowler in his first season I imagine his first of 63 consecutive Pro Bowls, um, but congrats to Michael Dixon, the namesake, the um, really the catalyst for this becoming a, a punting mechanics and punting pro punting podcast, which is a fun alliteration. Um, but congrats to Mike Dixon and, and all the Longhorns who who uh, wrapped up great seasons this year. Yeah, there was a really great shot of Puna Ford running down a running back from behind, uh, doing pursuit drills to save a. Uh, save a first down. So it's been impressive. So my bang the drum uh, is a guy we don't talk about a lot that I honestly sometimes forget. He went to the university of Texas. So if you're, if you're a basketball fan, if you're an NBA guy, Jarrett Allen managed to do something that only eight other, actually seven other men managed to do, which is block a dunk of LeBron James. So in 1850 attempts, LeBron James has only been blocked nine Time. So Jared Allen last night became the eighth man to do it. I keep on getting the math wrong because weirdly enough, the only person to do it twice is the man, the myth, the legend, Amari Stoudemire, who there's just so many jokes there. But yeah, so the fact that now Jared Allen is on the short list of nine, like I didn't want to do the math, but it's a very, very small percentage of dunks that have been blocked. So I'm banging the drum for Jared Allen, his weird personal life aside uh, it's just cool that you see a longhorn on that list yeah and i mean a lebron dunk is is a is a force of nature he's a freight train that can jump um so when that much you know man and mass gets moving towards the rim there's a reason that nine out of 2000 um give or take have have been blocked so uh hook him hook him jared allen that's uh fantastic he's he's throwing down some big dunks himself uh, and he's made some ESPN, some sports under top 10. So it's nice to see him on that defensive side denying someone else. So uh, congrats to congrats to the, the the former Longhorn. Is Jarrett Allen the most underrated, like, among the former Texas guys? Like, do, do pe- Texas fans just forget that he exists? You know, it's interesting because Miles and the Bucket Hat had such a piece of our heart. And Mobamba obviously having a rap song named after him is is pretty big. I assume the fourth you're talking about is Dexter Pittman. Um, kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but no, I feel like Jared Jared Allen with the fro. You're right. He might be underrated. A guy who looks like that and who had a fro in college and just that big and that cool should have been like an all timer and just never really came together with that team or him on that team or you know didn't spend more than than 12 months on campus. So maybe you might be right. He might be one of our all time underrated because he's turning in a pretty good. NBA career and like I said you hear about him probably three or four times just from some pretty highlight real mega dunks each year so he's doing some stuff so uh young fledgling career still still got some time ahead of him but laying some good foundation 
I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in again this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter. You can also follow the pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GHGoodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at LonghornPod. We are we're pretty active on Twitter unless I am in a meeting. We are pretty active on our social media, so feel free to reach out to us. If you want to make sure we see it, use the hashtag replies of Texas. You can choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Again, a reminder, we will not be with you on Christmas, but toward the end of next week, we will give you a podcast previewing the Georgia Bulldogs. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.